You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Ruth Flegman. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. Today is a day that's heartbreaking for our city. Today, unfortunately, is a sad day within our city. Later in the program, Louisville officials held a press conference following a mass shooting at a downtown bank on Monday. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half an hour, we have Lil Bob's Lil Show, a co-production between Lil Bob's Big Fund and WFHB, but first your local headlines. The Monroe County Criminal Justice Response Committee met on April 3rd. During public comment, Monroe County resident Audrey Williams shared her concern that the commissioners have not been transparent in their discussions surrounding the architecture firm chosen to design the jail. So your last meeting, uh, somebody brought up by public comment that you all had violated the open door law by not talking about the RFQs in public. And so I went through the handbook on Indiana public access laws and on page eight, there is actually a very specific uh, example that is given exactly in this. And so it should actually be uh, in public. And if you all are not interested in following state law, I'm not entirely sure what we are doing here. Uh, As I mentioned in my comment last meeting, if The concern of this committee is why are we, what happens to this committee and what happens to this county if we choose to do nothing for the next year? And if you aren't following state law when you are trying to get this process and shove through something that you want done, then what is it that you are trying to do? Because you do not seem interested in this committee. You don't seem interested in public comment. There are many things that people have been saying over and over and over again that you all are not listening to. Uh, People have asked for city involvement. People have asked you to listen to members of these committees, and it's just not happening. And I do not know what you all are doing. You're not following state law, You are not doing what the ACLU is asking. You are just plowing ahead with what you want. And I do not know why do you even bother having these meetings because nothing seems to matter. And that's really all I have to say. Also during public comment, public engagement director for the city of Bloomington, Kaiza Goodman, shared that the city staff met with County Attorney Jeff Cockerell to discuss possible locations for the new jail. But we did receive correspondence from County Attorney Jeff Cockrell last week on March 29th. Mr. Cockrell, City Corporation Council Beth Kate, City Planning Director Scott Robinson, and I were able to meet today to discuss potential locations. In the interest of transparency, and since that wasn't a public meeting, I'd like to give a very brief summary and update. Overall, I think it was a productive meeting. We discussed the pros and cons of several locations, most promisingly the Thompson property, a.k.a. Um, Thompson um, 
Area Planned Use Development, which is just south of Catalan and west of South Rogers. Area D of Thompson is a county-owned property of almost 90 acres, about 45 of which is deemed developable, much more land than would be needed for a jail. The property is appropriately zoned, and the city actually approved it for a new jail in 2002. While there are certainly some logistics to be worked out, the city believes this is a promising location due to its proximity to downtown, access to public transit, and ample space for jail and other services. I look forward to continuing to explore this option with our other partners, including the commissioners, sheriff, and county council, and county staff. Next, the committee reviewed other jail facilities. County Council Member Pete Iverson shared a presentation on design concepts they thought were well done in the correctional facility in Franklin County, Ohio. The facility they toured was designed by DLZ, the firm the commissioners have chosen to design the new jail. This is a particular interest to me uh, in that uh, DLZ, the firm that the commissioners have signed on with, is familiar with building facilities that are LEED certified. Uh, my understanding of this uh, facility is that they just missed lead gold uh, by a very slim margin. And so uh, it's possible to have intersectionality between the climate crisis response as well as justice. The Monroe County Commissioners asked to meet with Sheriff Ruben Marte at a Monroe County Commissioner's work session to discuss an email he sent to them asking for complete transparency. Commissioner Penny Givens said she would consider Councilmember Jennifer Crosley's suggestion to further discuss his email at the next CJRC meeting. The next Monroe County Criminal Justice Response Committee meeting will be held on April 17th. Up next, we have two headlines produced by our Environmental Affairs Program, EcoReport which airs each Friday at 5 p.m. on WFHB. To listen to the full program, visit WFHB.org. To our dismay, the Indiana House pushed forward a bill reducing a few remaining state wetlands protections. The Indiana House Republicans defeated an attempt to remove language that weakened the few remaining state protections for wetlands in the state from a bill originally addressing on-site sewage systems. Senate Bill 414 was originally a widely supported bill establishing statewide rules for the use of on-site residential sewage discharge disposal systems, but a last-minute amendment by Indiana Builders Association member and real estate broker Representative Doug Miller tightened restrictions on which wetlands could receive state protections. The bill will further degrade Indiana's wetlands. The 13-member Indiana Wetlands Task Force found that the loss of wetlands due to the legislation provided farmers and developers with short-term financial benefits at the cost of long-term flooding issues. We have now reached a tipping point with the loss of our wetlands. It's obvious our legislatures are taking Indiana in the wrong direction, all for the sake of the Indiana Builders Association, a powerful trade group and lobbying organization for the state's home building industry. Despite scientists' warnings, House Republicans passed a bill to boost fossil fuels amidst climate, change, climate crisis. 
Ten days after the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released the report synthesizing the findings of its sixth assessment cycle, warning that world leaders must slash greenhouse gas emissions by 60 percent by 2035 to have 50 percent chance to limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and staving off more severe climate impacts. The U.S. House of Representatives passed legislation to boost the burning of fossil fuels. Democrats have dubbed the bill the Polluters Over People Act and will likely succeed in blocking it for now, the New York Times reported. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, said it was dead on arrival and Biden has promised to veto it. The fossil fuel industry is flexing its muscle as if there are no consequences of climate change. History reveals that the current conditions are likely to cause catastrophic damage. Though there were no humans to witness the event, there was a climate long ago like what we have today. Back 3.5 million years ago, the atmosphere contained about 410 parts per million carbon dioxide. The CO2 was produced by volcanic action. Magma often contains high amounts of carbon, which oxidizes when magma encounters air. The air temperature was nearly what it is today, yet the oceans were about 60 60 feet higher than today. How can the same conditions cause either the current 9-inch rise or a 60-foot rise? The current rise is small because of a very rapid increase in atmospheric CO2. The ice melt has not caught up. The 60-foot increase came when conditions changed over millions of years. Think of glacial melt as baking a frozen lasagna a mile thick. It takes time for it to thaw. There is a lot of work now to determine how long it will take to melt all of the Arctic ice and most of the ice on Greenland. Warning. The following story contains accounts some people may find disturbing, including gun violence and mass shootings. Listener discretion is advised. On Monday, a 25-year-old man shot and killed five colleagues at a bank in Louisville, Kentucky. Eight others were wounded, two of which remain in intensive care. The gunman, who purchased an AR-15-style semi-automatic rifle on April 4th, was killed by police after an exchange of gunfire. Louisville officials provided updates yesterday on the mass shooting during a news conference. Interim Chief of the Louisville Metro Police Department, Jacqueline Gwyn Villaroel, gave a rundown on what happened on Monday. Today, unfortunately, is a sad day within our city. At 8.38... There's a report of shots fired at Old National Bank. Officers were on scene within three minutes. The suspect shot at officers. We then returned fire and stopped that threat. The suspect is deceased. This is the only time that I will mention the suspect name in this case. The suspect has been identified as Connor Sturgeon, white male, 23 years of age, who was employed at Old National Bank. His weapon of choice was a rifle. We have five total deceased, which includes him, but I want to acknowledge with heartfelt condolences, prayers to the family of those who lost their life today. 
Tommy Elliott, 63 years of age. Jim Tutt, 64 years of age. Josh Barrett, 40 years of age. And Juliana Farmer, 57. Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg offered condolences to those who lost their lives and their families. Today is a day that's heartbreaking for our city, for all of us, and especially for the people who were in that office at Old National Bank and their loved ones. We just heard the chief give the names of the people who lost their lives in this mass shooting this morning. One of them was Tommy Elliott, a very good friend of mine, of the governor's. To Tommy's family, to the families of Jim Tutt, Josh Barrick, Juliana Farmer, Rachel and I join you, and families across our entire city and beyond, in grieving this shocking and painful loss of your lives. The chief, the governor, myself, we visited in the hospital this morning with several of their families to offer them our support and our love during this unthinkable day. We will continue to offer our support and love and anything else we can provide to help them. We were also there along with several of my colleagues from Metro Council to thank and support the officers of LMPD for their heroic work today and every day. And say thank you to the new graduating class who was there to support their colleague, Officer Will, as he continues to fight for his life. Let's be clear about what this was. This was an evil act of targeted violence. And to add to that tragedy, a few blocks away, shortly after this happened, another man lost his life and a woman was shot in a completely different act of targeted violence. The two incidents appear to be entirely unrelated, but they both took lives. They both leave people scarred, grieving, and angry. I share all of those feelings myself right now. This is really difficult for all of us across the entire city to process and accept. I ask that we respect the needs of the families and loved ones of the people whose lives were lost today and the people whose lives will never be the same. Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear condemned the act of violence, saying that mass shootings tear at the fabric of our society. Today is a tragic day in Louisville and for the entire Commonwealth of Kentucky. Acts of violence like this hurt. They tear at the fabric of who we are, at our society, at our state, at our country, and this city. Today, I'm hurt, and I'm hurting. And I know so many people out there are as well. We lost four children of God today, one of whom was one of my closest friends. Tommy Elliott helped me build my law career. 
helped me become governor, gave me advice on being a good dad. It's one of the people I talk to most in the world and very rarely were we talking about my job. He was an incredible friend. We also lost Juliana Farmer, Jim Tut, Josh Barrick, each amazing people whose families grieve them, whose community will mourn and will miss them. These are irreplaceable, amazing individuals that a terrible act of violence tore from all of us. General Surgeon Dr. Jason Smith of the University of Louisville Health Hospital discussed treating the victims. As was reported um, this morning, University of Louisville Hospital uh, received uh, nine patients, uh, three of which are currently in critical condition. Uh, the three that are in critical condition did require operative care and, uh, from our trauma team and our emergency department services. Uh, we were able to release three, and three are currently still in our hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Um, I want to say thank you to uh, Louisville um, as a city. I want to say thank you to our police officers and our EMS services. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that they saved lives today. Uh, I think they, as many in the healthcare industry, have been through a difficult time recently, but they have stood up and stand up for Louisville and the people of Louisville constantly. And they have our thanks from U of L Health. Uh, I also want to thank uh, my nurses in the emergency department my physicians in the emergency department. Um, through all of this, they remained as the professionals that they are. They were able to care for a large number of people coming in severely injured in a very short period of time. We were able to get them to the services they need. Uh, and as of now, no one that arrived at the hospital has expired. Now, I do not know what the days ahead will be. Uh, I do know that they are still injured, but I also know that we are all Louisvillians, and it doesn't matter where we come from. It does not matter who we look like. We are all part of Louisville. LMPD, EMS, UofL Health. We are here for everyone. And so I would like to thank everyone who's helped us today. I would like to thank all the well wishes I've received, both personally and from our healthcare system from around the country. Support for people who have been through this around the country and know the pain that my team is currently facing, know the pain that the LMPD and EMS teams are currently facing, uh, and will be with us. Because, as again, we are all Louisvillians. Um, I want to thank everyone, again, for what they do for us every day. Uh, we are um, a wonderful and integral part of this city, and I am proud to be part of UofL Health, and I am proud to be part of UofL Hospital. Kentucky is one of the 25 states that allow most adults over 21 years old to purchase and carry a firearm without a license. According to the Gun Violence Archive, over 11,500 people have died from gun violence in the US in 2023. That's an average of 115 deaths each day. For WFHB, I'm Ruth Flegman. Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between Lil Bub's Big Fund and WFHB. We turn now to that segment.
Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. First, here is today's featured animal. For today's featured animals, I want to share three special cats rescued by the Exotic Feline Rescue Center. Charlie Brown is a tiger who arrived in May of 2011 from Branson, Missouri, where he had been used in a magic show. He lived in a cage with a concrete floor. To clean his cage, bleach was dumped on the ground where Charlie walked, causing him to have nerve issues with his feet today. You can often see Charlie favoring a different foot when he walks, but that doesn't slow him down. He can be seen playing with his barrel often and enjoying his quiet life at the rescue center. George and Rodney are two male leopards that came from a mansion in Long Island, New York. A domestic dispute call led authorities to the mansion where George and Rodney's owner had the leopards roaming the house. Upon investigation, law enforcement found ivory, heads, and pelts of other endangered animals. It is illegal to have any exotic pets in New York, so the leopards were confiscated and taken to their new home at the EFRC in 2005. Their owner is one of the few people out of all of the EFRC's stories who actually spent time in prison for his crimes. George and Rodney have an amazing enclosure on the main tour thanks to the Tony Stewart Foundation. George is not as vocal as Rodney, but he is just as active. He loves to roll with logs and other toys around the enclosure. If you are lucky, you may catch some snuggling going on between these two boys on tour. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. On today's episode of Lil Bub's Little Show, we're going to be talking about the Exotic Feline Rescue Center located in Center Point, Indiana. Since its founding in the early 1990s, the EFRC has served as a rescue center and home to many exotic felines. Their mission is to provide permanent homes for exotic felines that have been abused, abandoned, or for some reason have nowhere to live out their lives while at the same time educating the public about these beautiful cats. An animal who lives at the EFRC has a home for life, a stable social group to interact with, and excellent veterinary care and attention. The Exotic Feline Rescue Center has grown from its humble beginnings with only three exotic felines and 15 acres to today caring for over 100 cats and six foxes on over 200 acres. Being a nonprofit rescue center, tours are the main way the EFRC raises money. They offer daily guided walking tours that last about an hour. On a tour, you'll learn the rescue stories of the creatures who call the EFRC home, from privately owned pets to retired circus animals. You'll also learn how the animals are cared for and how you can help. It's important to remember that guests are not permitted to touch, pet, or interact with any of the EFRC cats. As a 501c3 nonprofit rescue center, the EFRC does not breed, sell, or buy any of their animals. Next to caring for these amazing animals, 
their biggest job is educating the public about the plight of exotic animals in their care. If you would like to learn more about the Exotic Feline Rescue's important work, please visit their website at efrc.org. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specialising in solar hot water, solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Lil Bob's Lil Show is produced by Christine Brackenhoff and Stacey Bradovsky. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and The Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Ruth Flegman. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for a live mayoral forum on the arts at the John Waldron Art Center. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at wfhb.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at wfhb.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 